All right, let's uh, welcome in our good friend uh, Mike Arsenault from uh, Global News. He joins us here in the studio. we got a number of uh, matters when it comes to the world of sport to talk to him about. Uh, Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for having me on again. Can we count on your support as well to get Barbara Walters down to Times Square? I was terrified I was going to have to answer some Barbara Walters questions. So now that you explain what's <laughs> happening, I, I think it makes sense. But uh, yeah, 90 <laughs> years old, I don't know if she's going to be able to make it. Maybe it can be like The Tonight Show. You film her at 430 and then roll it at no, midnight. No, 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 no. It's got to happen live. I mean, New Year's Eve. Thank you. Okay, let's start with uh, Thursday Night Football. Last night, Browns and the Steelers in a pretty upsetting uh, episode near the end of the game where uh, one of the Steelers uh, had their helmet ripped off. Uh, yeah, the quarterback yeah. of the Steelers, Mason Rudolph, had his helmet ripped off five seconds left in the game. I watched the first half, and I, I looked like the Browns were going to win, so I went to bed, and I woke up. and You I, and Barbara Walters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. And I woke up, and I saw that there was an incident at the end of the game, and it was so much worse than I actually had imagined. Like I, I heard that there was kind of a, a kerfuffle, if you will, but um, what happened was Miles Garrett ripped Mason Rudolph's helmet and then hit him. Did he make contact? Helmet. Because, yeah, he has got the the opponent's helmet in his hand. He's holding it by the face guard, if you will. Yeah. And he takes a swing at this guy with, with a football helmet. It was basically an overhand swing, and it hit Mason Rudolph on the top of the head. And Rudolph missed some time earlier this year because of a concussion. So it is honestly just one of the most abhorrent things you could see take place in a football field. And the, the word has just come out now that uh, Miles Garrett, the guy who swung his helmet at Mason Rudolph, has been suspended for the rest of the season, including playoffs and that could carry over into 2020 as well is that enough do they i mean it's pretty severe but it's only a game a week as we know in the nfl and they're what halfway or a little more than halfway through the schedule right now i mean i think if, if you look at a percentage compared to something like nfl or something like the nhl or major league baseball you're looking at either a 40 game or an 80 game suspension i think it's i think it's fairly accurate especially if mason rudolph doesn't miss any time and he doesn't suffer lingering effects luckily from that hit do we know what his condition is rudolph's uh, he seemed fine last night in the press conference i haven't heard an official word or anything on well whether he'll play next week at all but, I mean, that could have been so much worse. A lot of people on social media were comparing this to the um, Marty McSorley, Donald Brashear incident. Oh, or even course, the, yeah. the Todd uh, Bertuzzi hit from 15 years ago. Like, that's, I mean, this is going to make it past sports fans into kind of the the general consciousness. Like, it just, you can't have that with how much um, concern there is in the NFL now with head injuries and have one of your top players basically use a helmet as a batting ram to hit a defenseless opponent. What is the explanation? Not that there is a good one, but have we heard an explanation for why this uh, happened? Uh, he owned it. He said it was it was a stupid thing to do. He just kind of got lost in the moment. Like, what happened? Rudolph was trying to kind of take his helmet off. It was basically a normal scrum. And, I mean, you can rip the helmet off, but where it took it to the next level is you can't use that helmet as a weapon against someone who isn't wearing a helmet. That was the big thing. And then one of the uh, Steelers, I believe, offensive linemen got suspended for three games because rightfully he was upset that his quarterback got hit like that. And then he was kind of throwing some punches and kicks to Miles Garrett in the pile afterward. All right, let's move from uh, football to uh, hockey. I got to mention last night a battle of maybe the top two NHL players right now, Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid. It was the Avalanche versus the Oilers. And McDavid got six... Not the, which would be enough, six points in just a single game, but in one period last night. Wait, is that your top two, Jeff? I thought you were going to say Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Because, <laughs> I mean, Dreisaitl had five assists last night, right? So, I mean, Edmonton is 1-2 in league scoring right now with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Those two guys had 11 points last night. Okay, so is there any doubt that Connor McDavid is the best player in the NHL after last night? <laughs> no, I, I I think he he won that mantle over Sidney Crosby probably last year, and I think so far this season has just kind of further 
cemented that fact that he is the best player in the league. And he's, with the points he's putting up at his age, and he's missed quite a bit of time with injuries, I mean, he's one of the top rookies of all time. You have to take Gretzky out of the equation because he was just so far above and beyond anyone else. But the points he's producing uh, before 23 is is really incredible in the context of the history of the NHL. I love the fact we're still doing that with Gretzky, even in 2019. I can remember in the 80s, you had the Gretzky rule in your hockey pool that nobody could pick him because he was just too good. And we're even doing that now. So we have to remove him from the conversation because he was just that good. Well, if you see anyone talking <laughs> about uh, like stats, like how many points someone has scored, they only say the last 30 years. They conveniently ignore any of Gretzky's <laughs> stuff in the early 80s because there's no comparison. <laughs> but McKinnon versus McDavid, that's uh, how this game was being sold being billed last night do you think that mcdavid was aware of that and really wanted to kind of turn it on a little bit it seems like it i don't know like just watching him a little bit more this year compared to past years it looks like he's wants to be more of a shooter and a scorer this year i mean that was his second hat trick in the last three games so he's always been a great playmaker but it looks like he's having a little bit more focus on shooting the puck and when we have a line mate like leon dreisaitl and you have both of those guys i mean how do you defend those two guys on one line it's pretty tough as you saw last night all right let's move on to the uh, leafs by the way we get some breaking news regarding the the Leafs uh, Kerfoot uh, is out so apparently he well you were at the game when they played the Kings right and he took quite a wallop from uh, Jeff Carter so he suffered a bit of a facial injury and I guess it hasn't been getting better it got worse in the game uh, against the Islanders can I just say by the way I was at that game as you mentioned when that uh, hit happened and I did not have the best seats in the house admittedly I was like in the 300 level I felt it up there yeah that that's how big that hit was from uh, Jeff Carter (laughs) so so apparently he's had um, some dental surgery to uh, to kind of repair the issues that he suffered at the hands of that hit and he's out indefinitely so it's Kerfoot out now Marner's out and well currently the Leafs are outside of the playoff picture as well all right so that brings us to our next question is what is going on uh, with the Leafs here can you just uh, I mean we're at the 20 game mark quarter way through the season certainly the team has by anyone's estimation underperformed uh, is it just all due to injury or is there something else going on here? I think there's definitely something else going on. I don't know if it's the system that they're playing under Mike Babcock and that's not effective or the players are tuning out the system that Mike Babcock wants them to play, but this really seems like it is an inflection point on the season. I mean, they right now, yes, yeah, I think they're just a couple points out of the last playoff spot, but that's misleading because the three teams right below them, those three teams have two to four games in hand on the Maple Leafs. So if they lose tonight against Boston tomorrow, against Pittsburgh and those teams win Toronto could find themselves by the end of this weekend 12th in the conference wow uh, you know, you can't help but compare what is going on with the Leafs with the Raps right now. And the Raptors are down some significant players themselves. Uh, Kyle Lowry, of course, uh, Serge Ibaka, most notably. But they just keep on going. They keep on winning. So why is it the Raptors are able to overcome these injuries, do you think, Mike? And the Leafs seemingly can't. I mean, it could just boil down to the experience they had last year winning the championship, a lot of the players, and just kind of having that... Um, trial by fire throughout that playoff, the four playoffs one that they played last year. So they're used to kind of facing this adversity and this pressure, whereas the Leafs, as we've seen, I, I mean, they haven't won a playoff series since what, 2004. So it just seems like, I don't know, I'm, I'm of the mind that I think a change needs to be made. Not necessarily I'm laying all the blame at the feet of Mike Babcock, but as the old adage goes, you can't get rid of your players, you can get rid of a coach. So something needs to change. we got to light a fire underneath these guys or the season is going to quickly slip away from them. Yeah, but Mike Babcock, uh, he didn't become like a crappy coach overnight or just uh, all of a sudden forget everything he's learned uh, through the years here. So is it fair to lay all of the blame uh, at his feet? I mean, the players are the ones that got to go out and play the game. They're the ones that are earning big dollars. 
Well, what I think the issue with Mike Babcock is he is a great coach. I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to take anything away from his coaching ability. However, he's a very tough guy to play for, right? And at some point that type of style can start to grate on the players a little bit and they start tuning him out. So I think Babcock was a great hire to kind of usher Marner and, and Matthews into the start of their career, but now they're looking for more responsibility and they kind of want to get the restrictor plate taken off and and take a little more of the ownership and maybe Mike Babcock's not giving that up. So I think it's more maybe a tune-out factor and is Mike Babcock the guy to lead these guys now that's both... Um, Marner and Matthews have established themselves as stars in this league. Is he the right guy to take them through the next step of their career? Is it a generational thing, do you think? Mike Babcock uh, obviously has been around the league uh, forever, I believe. I'm just guessing here, but Mike's in his, what, mid-late 50s? He's been coaching at least since the mid-90s, I believe, so yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, you've got the likes of uh, Matthews and Marner in their early 20s, and is his coaching style just uh, out of sync or out of date with what uh, Matthews and Marner uh, what they're used to or, or what they need to thrive i mean do you need kind of one of those uh, i don't new generation coaches if you will it's it's i don't think it's necessarily just that it's the fact that if you have a coach who's a bit of a taskmaster there is a expiry date on that kind of coaching style right it will work for a few years it kind of lights the fire under the guys but as you saw with uh, john tortorelli he's a great coach as well but he's worn out as welcome in a number of cities because it's tough to play for a guy who is on you consistently day in day out eventually it is going to be a tune-out factor and i don't see babcock really changing his way at all i mean we're still talking about the back-to-backs freddie anderson gets the game tonight and then the backup will be in the game tomorrow why not mix something up i'm not seeing um i'm not seeing any changes with his coaching style they're doing the same things and it's not working this year do you think mike babcock because what you're talking about with the tortorella and i'm thinking now of a mike keenan as well uh I don't see Babcock as a fan. I don't see him that way. He seems a lot uh, more uh, approachable, if you will, in press conferences. and He doesn't have that kind of steely demeanor when he talks uh, to the press and to the fans. But is it different uh, behind closed doors and in the room, do you think? I don't think it's necessarily that he's uh, a yeller and a screamer. But it's just think of when uh, you did something bad when you were a kid and your parents are like, I'm not mad, I'm disappointed. That hurts more than the yelling, right? So I think it's more of just he expects so much from these guys. And at some point, it's just like... Just kind of let us play. The most excited, the most, um, the most uh, good, whatever, the lack of a better word. But the best, the best time the Leafs play that I've seen them uh, play so far this year is during the overtime. Like mm-hmm. that's the only time that they look like the Toronto Maple Leafs with with the skill that they have is during three on three, five on five, and in their power play has been absolutely atrocious these last couple weeks. So whose fault is all this really? Ultimately, we're talking about laying it at the feet of uh, Mike Babcock, but do we need to talk about Kyle Dubas, who's been in charge of this team for a couple of years? And after all, Mike Babcock can only play the players he's given. That's a good point, and I think it's this is a tough year for the Leafs because they have so much money within those four guys. They have to go for it this year. It's not like they can, well, let's see how long we can go, maybe around Christmas or New Year's Eve or perhaps uh, February 1st. That's when we can kind of look at what we have. They have to make significant strides this year because they have a lot of contracts that will be coming up, and it's just going to be uh, more difficult in this salary cap era to put a good product on the ice. So there's a sense of urgency in Leafland that I think is 
potentially getting uh, both Babcock and potentially Dubas a little hot under the collar. Because Shanahan, so the, I think, is really, he's the guy who's got to figure out what he wants to do here. Yeah, just finally, do you think that they can't afford to wait then, that this is a critical period right now, starting uh, tomorrow night through the uh, Christmas uh, break to see how the Leafs do? And if they don't improve, they really need to look at making a change behind the bench. They can't wait until playoff time and see if they get to, to the second round or third round. I think Christmas for sure, but I mean, I, I'm i not sure how uh, how possible this is, but if they get their doors blown off tomorrow and Saturday in these next two games, I mean, I don't even know if Babcock makes it to the end of the week. Wow. All right. Mike Arsenault from uh, Global News. Mike, thanks as always. Good to see you. Thanks, Jeff.